What's up, everybody? You're listening to No Co Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush, and I'm Connor Cornelius, and we're very happy to be with you yet again for another beautiful week of uh, film and film discussion. Uh, how are you doing this week, Connor? I'm doing well. The uh, sudden change in weather has sort of pulled the rug out from under me. Yeah, from a uh, I don't know, health perspective, but I'm still enjoying it. Well, it's finally gotten me out from just sitting at home and watching movies to going out to theaters and watching movies. Which so. is which is about all that you can ask. Yeah. I mean, at a time like this. Finally got out to see I, Tanya, finally. Oh, really? Yeah. Check that think? out. Uh, it's it's really the performances are great and it tells an important story, but I don't it's kind of just Goodfellas meets ice skating in a lot of times. <laughs> but altogether very good uh performances especially from margot robbie but we're not going to talk hollywood right now we'll save that for later shame really (laughs) a shame there's no one's talking about hollywood at all i know never there's never any talk about what happens in california we're talking chicago and right now we've got a fantastic guest he is the founder and executive director of full spectrum features but is also a filmmaker and producer in his own right mr eugene sun park how you doing man Pretty good, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so, Full Spectrum Features. I mean, you guys are, I'd say, a pretty big deal right now in terms of Chicago filmmaking, if if that sounds all right to you. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. Yeah, I have no perception of how other people perceive us because we just sit in an office and do yeah. what we do. Exactly. Well, I do. I appreciate that. Instead of uh, you know, you're not out for glory. You're out to make great cinema and promote a lot of uh, a lot of unheard voices. So um, you were not originally from Chicago, correct? You moved here in 2012. Yeah, I moved here in 2012. I was actually born not too far from here. I was born oh, really? outside of Detroit. Yeah. Okay. okay yeah. So Midwestern. Um, when when you came to chicago i want to ask what were some of your first impressions had you ever been to chicago before and how did that change when you actually came here to say i'm going to live here uh when we moved here it was actually my only the second time i'd ever been to chicago the first time uh was for a job visit for my partner she's a history professor Mm -hmm. so we came here and it was january of like 2011 and it was extremely cold we were coming from la so (laughs) it was a little bit of a shock and then uh, and then when we moved here that was the second time i'd ever been here so uh yeah i mean it's pretty cliche but the cold is the first and strongest impression of being here naturally naturally um when you so you were out in la what brought you out to la being a filmmaker yeah, after college, I moved there, and I worked in the film industry for a little bit. Very nice. And what was your experience like out there being in the, the jungle that is the L.A. film community? It's intense, and there's, I mean, I, I've heard this has changed, but I, I never felt really a strong spirit of, like, community or independent filmmaking there. It's sort of everyone's there to try to make it big in Hollywood. Right. But, you know, and It's the rat race. Yeah. Nobody's trying to do anything... Uh, like progressive in terms of filmmaking out there necessarily. Right. Yeah, They're it feels like a machine. I mean, it is. It's a huge industry, and after a while working there, it starts to feel like it's no different than working in I don't know an industry that's making washing machines or laundry detergent. It's just mass market stuff. How long did you live there for? I lived in LA for a total of close to nine years. Okay, but mm-hmm. most of the time there, I was actually not doing film. I left filmmaking um, frustrated with a lot of different things and ended up going to graduate school to study philosophy. Okay. So I spent almost a decade of my life life pursuing a PhD in philosophy before coming here and then kind of coming back to filmmaking. So 
leaving filmmaking and going into this, uh, you know, massive, I mean, philosophy, it's so many different things. It's so multifaceted. Uh, taking that detour and then coming back to filmmaking with this new perspective and new wealth of knowledge, how did it change how you approached the medium? I think the the most important thing I got out of studying philosophy or just being a graduate student was learning how to stick with an idea for a very, very long time and just be, like, hell-bent on proving other people wrong and, you know, getting the, them to listen to what you're trying to say. And that, that's basically what you're trying to do as an independent filmmaker. It's easy to um, almost give up on your own ideas when people aren't listening or they're not writing a check, but it's the people who make it are the ones that just keep sticking with it. And that's basically what it is to be a philosopher. You just sit there and kind of talk to yourself in the corner for a couple of years until someone says, hey, that's a pretty good idea. So you wouldn't view it as a detour. You would say that both paths kind of complement one another. Yeah, for sure. It, it, uh, if you, Well, I don't have uh, an up-to-date resume, but if you were to look at an up-to-date <laughs> resume, it would look like a pretty meandering path but in my mind it's it's pretty linear actually yeah and that makes sense i i like to think that um when you study when you are a filmmaker you can't just be a filmmaker you have to be so many different things you have to be aware of so many different things and especially with what you're doing with full spectrum features it is this idea of awareness and um as you said, trying to prove people wrong and trying to prove something and spending your time on that idea. Uh, what what was your impetus for creating full-spectrum features when you came to Chicago? When I first moved here, I think like a lot of uh, early or budding filmmakers, I was more focused on writing and directing my own material. And typically when I go into post on my own projects, there's kind of a a lull almost. I mean, post is still a busy process, but um, I found it was too early for me to dive into a new writing and directing project, and I, I still wanted to be involved in filmmaking, so I, I started producing other people's things while I was in post on my own projects, and I found the process of producing other people's projects so rewarding, uh, and also just opens up so many more landscapes, because I, I might just be a narrow-minded storyteller, but there's not that many stories I feel like I can tell mm -hmm. really well and authentically myself. But when you produce, it just opens up the entire field. Like, you can be involved in all kinds of different stories that you wouldn't necessarily even want to tell yourself. Was working as a producer, you mentioned that you started doing it because of the lull in the post-process for your own projects. Do you think that production became more of a passion, even though that it started as a way to keep you kind of interested in your own project? Did it become more of a passion of yours than your own filmmaking? Um, yeah, I think that's that's probably true. I, as I've produced more projects, I think the sense of ownership that I have and involve, creative involvement in those projects surprised me. Uh, I know a lot of times people think of the director as the sole like, kind of genius and creator, auteur, and then everyone else is just there in kind of a supporting role, mm -hmm. and the producer is just the, the person in the suit who gets the money. But when, especially when you do... That's not how it works? No, that, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not. Uh, yeah, one conversation I have a lot with a lot of filmmakers that we work with is if you want to be a writer-director at the independent level, uh, there's kind of no way around it. You're going to have to be a producer on your own project. So, yeah, a lot of the roles start blending together, and I think most people, especially at the indie level, would acknowledge that it's, it's kind of a communal effort. Mm -hmm. 
when you mentioned the produ- in the producing process that there you're helping other stories come alive that you could not necessarily tell yourself what is it like helping someone tell that story that's that might be so out of your own experience but you do get this sense of ownership of helping it you know reach its potential uh it can be very challenging and frustrating just on a practical level because independent filmmaking involves in some ways i like to think of it as just a long series of compromises mm-hmm. and how, how do you make sure that along the way you haven't just completely lost the vision for the film and although it sounds really frustrating and demoralizing it's actually really kind of a rewarding process to navigate that with the filmmaker and decide what kind of compromises still maintain the integrity of the story and what kinds of compromises are ones we just don't want to make because then the story's going to be lost. Mm-hmm. You say compromises. I've heard a lot of people use that word and kind of cast a negative light on it, but you definitely seem a little bit more... Like, you just seem to understand that that's part of the process of filmmaking. Yeah, I, I don't I don't. Know. I don't know if it's being pessimistic, but I kind of go into it knowing that I I frequently tell filmmakers some major part of your project is going to just, like, collapse or walk away in the 11th hour. You don't know where it's coming from, unfortunately. They're not going to give you a heads up, but it's going to happen and be prepared for it. (laughs) And I think when you go into the process knowing that you're going to have to make adjustments on the fly, when... um, the shit hits the fan. Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to become unraveled. You're going to say, okay, this, you know, I, it, I was expecting something like this to happen. Not necessarily that the DP was going to walk on me the day before, but when that kind of thing happens, you can, be, you know, kind of pick yourself up. And a lot of times it's a pro- process of actually taking advantage of what is temporarily sort of a setback and be like, you know, we can actually make a better project now because it actually wasn't working out with that DP and yeah. now we can find someone better. I really like that because I feel that there's this sentiment with a lot of people when they want to go into filmmaking, there's this very romantic idea of the auteur and you're going to go in and you're going to make your masterpiece and everything's just going to happen the way you want it to. But I like that advice of you're going to have to brace yourself because it will almost go nowhere that you wanted to, but you will get something and it might even be better than before. Are there any projects that you worked on that really exemplified that idea of uh you know 40 miles of bad road but you get something pretty great out of it i mean in, in some ways every single project this like <laughs> every that, single one everyone. yeah there i'm trying to think of a a good example let's come back to that one okay for sure yeah. yeah we'll put a pin in it uh we i, I want to ask you initially what is it about cinema when you think back as far as you can uh what is it about cinema that is uh so interesting to you versus other mediums when you're working in philosophy there's so you know there's plenty of reading and writing and you know in the world even before you get into film there's photography and all this what is it about film that works for you so full spectrum works exclusively in narrative film and i think narrative film in particular has uh unique power to bring you into someone else's shoes and for 90 minutes or whatever the length of the movie is gives you an opportunity to see the world from someone else's perspective and you can kind of almost quiet your own ego for that 90 minutes and you start assuming 
their that the main character's set of values, their fears, their hopes, and this is sort of why we focus exclusively on narrative at full spectrum. The idea is that we can affect some sort of social change by getting people to see other people's experiences and you know walk a mile in their shoes and maybe come out of that movie thinking about a different community or a different lifestyle or people from a different country or culture in a very different way. I like that. Quiet the ego because you get to because that's that's the most fun part of being in a narrative film and engaging with a narrative film is that you get to be somewhat outside of yourself and you know especially with full spectrum features like I've I've recently watched some of uh, Brujos and it was really interesting how much I was just like just watching and getting and understanding an experience that was uh outside of outside of my own and i think full spectrum really has uh, real talent for that um we're going to take a little quick break here and we'll come back in, in, in just a moment but uh i want to talk a little bit about some of the projects that you have worked on some that are coming up some that have been released over the last uh, few years and uh just a lot about full spectrum in general so um again we're talking with eugene son park he's the founder and executive director of full spectrum features and also a filmmaker and producer in his own right you're listening to noco cinema here on wgm plus back in just a bit everybody you're back listening to noco cinema here on wgn plus your guide to cinema here in the city of chicago i'm tom hush and i'm connor cornelius and right now we are talking to eugene sun park he's the founder and executive director of full spectrum features and is also a filmmaker and producer in his own right now full spectrum features uh we wanted to let you guys know exactly what the what the deal is they are a chicago-based 501c3 nonprofit organization that is committed to increasing diversity in the media arts by producing exhibiting and supporting the work of women lgbtq and minority filmmakers they also aim to educate the public about important social and cultural issues utilizing the power of cinema to foster understanding in our communities i mean how much better does it get yeah i think we should break that down and talk about it a little bit but first um eugene you mentioned that there are a few projects that you guys have coming down the pipeline this year yeah, we have a couple of projects that we shot last year that'll be uh, hitting the film festival circuit this year. And we also have a couple of exciting productions coming up in the uh, first half of the calendar year. Excellent. I know you mentioned uh, you've got a web series coming up, the T. As in the letter. Yeah, letter T. Uh, This is produced and developed by you guys at Full Spectrum, but also Open TV as well, which is a, a group that we've been watching. Yeah, so th- this is a project that I'm really excited about. The creators are B. Cordelia and Daniel Kyrie. And the project, uh, as you mentioned, is um, kind of a partnership between Open TV and Full Spectrum Features. It's also, interestingly, selected by the Chicago Film Office for the 2018 uh, Independent Filmmaker Initiative Residency. 
so Daniel and B won that award. It was uh, announced um, at the end of December. So they're gonna, in a way, in a strange way, we're we're producing the film with the city. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and I mean, this is an incredibly diverse show. I mean, this follows a white trans woman, a queer black man, and a Latina trans woman uh, through this show, and to have the city ostensibly saying yeah we're making this with you and giving it their approval while you don't need it it's it's an interesting thing to have yeah i know the residency was extremely competitive they pick one project and filmmaker or in this case filmmaking team b and daniel and yeah we're we're just super excited i think it says a lot about rich moscow and the people who are at the film office that they were willing to uh throw their support behind this and we're just really looking forward to working with them and shooting this starting at the end of february going into to march and the plan is uh we're gonna edit and do all post-production pretty quickly all, everything will be done here in chicago and the idea is to uh do a premiere here actually in chicago uh kind of tying in it with um pride in june wow okay yeah that's fantastic i mean what better time to do it really um so we've got the t and then also as you mentioned a little bit earlier you mentioned this one freelancers anonymous tell us a little bit about this one yeah this is another exciting project so the um one of the lead producers who also happens to be the writer who also happens to be the star of the film, <laughs> uh, Lisa Cordelione. she used to be in Chicago she lives in LA now but I think she spent about 10 years here and it's uh, a lesbian rom-com it's about a group of uh, entrepreneurial women who are starting a company they're ma- making an app basically to help connect uh, women who want to work in STEM fields with employers who are looking to hire women uh, in STEM careers. And one of the cool things, besides the film being just a really uh, fun story and having this great ensemble cast, including Alexandra Billings from Transparent, Mm -hmm. who also uh, has strong Chicago connections. True. Uh, The filmmaking team is actually building the app and they're making a business out of it. So, so wow. not, it's yeah. not just a movie, it's a real thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's I think it's a brilliant idea. They brought it to us and immediately we're like this is truly a transmedia project. It's not just a film. It's this whole business and the app is actually the thing that they're making in the movie. Yeah, the filmmakers are going to go out and make this and bring it to colleges and Google and employers and be like use this. And it's it's really the um I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of how to put it. Like the message in action, like the idea of having this app that connects women in STEM fields with employers in STEM fields, not just having it be the idea of the film and the message of the film, uh, but also going out and making it a reality. As you said, like that is truly media like convergence. And what a great way to promote the movie too, to have something tangible that you can throw onto your phone or something like that. If you wanted to, you know, that's incredible. And, and it does seem very in line with what you guys are trying to do with the creativity. You guys are very involved in making your film releases a little bit more. You guys are thinking outside of the box, right? Yeah, one of the things we do with every new project or any project that we get involved in is have an ongoing conversation with the filmmakers about how they're going to turn their film into something bigger. And usually, literally, what that means is how are you going to turn your independent film into a business? And sometimes when you do that, your business involves creating other streams of revenue, moving on to other platforms. Because the the reality is one movie 
every 20 years is the next Napoleon Dynamite. And actually, they made a lot of money off the ancillary yeah. stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you can go buy a vote for Pedro T-shirt at Walmart, you know that kind of changes somebody, the game. I saw somebody walking down the street. Just a quick sidebar. I was like, "What?" The, I haven't seen a vote for Pedro T-shirt in probably ten years. <laughs> I saw somebody walking down the street in it, and I was just, I was extremely. I was like, it just feels weird, you know, to see something like that. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, your premiere idea for that the fact that they're making an app is incredible and i have seen a couple of other instances where you guys are kind of trying to play with the idea of a film premiere you mentioned that the premiere of signature move at the music box you had actual wrestling happening after the screening event yeah so that that was a crazy night and very (laughs) very ambitious uh we did the the chicago premiere not the world premiere at Mm -hmm. the music box theater and we wanted to do a big blowout party because the, the film was made here. It was largely supported by a, a huge number of local artists and uh, filmmakers and communities. So we knew a lot of people were going to turn out. The Music Box is a great p- place to do a premiere, not the best place to do a huge blowout party with a wrestling ring. So <laughs> we actually moved the whole party to Fort Knox Studios. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Fort mm-hmm. Knox. Yeah, and we, we shot in a space that they called The Hangar, which is actually where we shot the wrestling scenes that are in Signature Move. So it was kind of a cool way to go back. We essentially rebuilt part of the set. So we had, wow. uh, I think it was a company from um, Indiana who came in and in- installed or reinstalled the professional wrestling ring. And we flew in some uh, professional wrestlers from around the country, actually the same wrestlers who were in the film. And they came and performed. And then we had a number of local performance groups and musicians uh, we had an MC. It was a whole circus, basically after yeah. the premiere. Oh man! I mean, that is, I mean, that's the worth the price of the ticket. I think. Yeah, that's a buck and a half there. And that's kind of the struggle that you guys are trying to target and eliminate from audiences who are going and putting themselves out there to see these indie films, right? Is you're trying to create and curate an experience that is worth more than the cost of the ticket, so that people don't just stay on their couch and watch Netflix. Yeah, that that's. I mean, it's such a huge challenge right now for f- filmmakers of all kinds to get people to come out to the movie theater and pay the whatever ten, twelve, fifteen bucks mm-hmm. to actually sit in the theater and watch the movie. And I think what some filmmakers are trying to do this is definitely our approach is create an experience that's not downloadable, where you have to be there in person and provide something other than just the film. I know a lot of filmmakers are resistant to that, and I. I understand that and appreciate it because it's like i just want to make movies i don't want to start you know creating all these other events and be become an event producer but that's at least for us an effective way to get people to come out and then you start building an audience that can translate into online activity as well right i i think that's um it's an incredible i mean it's incredibly engaging and it's a way that as you said it builds the audience that turns into digital i mean i've we've talked with filmmakers who are just like yeah you can just put it up on amazon video like they're it's really easy but it doesn't translate into anybody realistically seeing that movie unless you go out and do the promotion it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of great legwork and putting yourselves out there and saying like this is this is full spectrum features this is what we do we want you to participate in what's happening and i love that idea that you went to the hangar 
where you shot it. Like people are in the movie ostensibly now. I really, really like that. Um, yeah, take them behind the scenes. Yeah, literally. as it were. Yeah, that's very. That's just so. That's so cool. Um, and it's and it's very Chicago in in <laughs> in the way that we've um, discovered. Because as we talk to more and more people, we're learning. We're just out here to learn. We're out here to just hear people's uh, stories of making movies in this city. What? How do you feel about the Chicago film community at large? What is your general impression of um, what people are doing here? Specifically with the like the indie scene? Yeah, with the indie scene, I would say mainly. I think it's in a really good spot. I mean, we're, there's a lot of content being created. I feel like... I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people still leave to go to New York yeah. and L.A. Every time right. I shoot a film... Six months later, when we're trying to crew up again, I go through the list. I'm like, oh, that person left, that person left. Mm -hmm. But there are also people coming here, which is sort of a new development I've seen in the past 12 months where I'll meet someone new on a set. I'm like, oh, you actually moved to To Chicago to work in the film scene because you heard that there's a lot of stuff going on here. So I think that's reflective of the amount of activity that's happening. Definitely, there's a, um, a relationship between sort of the bigger budget studio the Dick networks Wolf. exactly <laughs> uh, and the independent production so people can get really well paying uh, sometimes uh, these are union jobs mm-hmm. on Dick Wolf, sh- Wolf shows and then they can come work on um, the indie stuff so right now it's kind of like our busy season because <laughs> yeah <laughs> the dead of winter some of the bigger budget stuff isn't shooting so you have a lot of grips and gaffers and crew people sitting around and waiting to work yeah and they want to work on exciting local stuff so you can get them um because they're available and because dick wolf's paying uh you know their rent with the bigger project come and work for free on our stuff and i like that i like that middle ground i like that idea that you can go be a pa or a gaffer or uh you know anybody on chicago med chicago fire what have you and then turn around and be like I still am interested in doing something here locally that is representative of Chicago. Um, I wanted to see, based on your mission statement and what you guys do with full spectrum features, how do you feel Chicago is handling representing unheard voices in cinema? So women, uh, LGBTQ, um, minority, people of color, filmmakers of color. Do you think that Chicago is doing a good job? Could we do better? I mean, we can we can always do better for sure. sure. I think Chicago is doing a great job right now. There's a lot of emphasis on diversity and representation at some of our festivals. There's some really great organizations here, um, from IFP Chicago to Women in Film, who are really advocating for diversity both in front of and behind the camera. So, and you know, one of the things actually that helps is um, the the Illinois tax credit. So that m- most people just look at that as sort of a financial thing, but there's actually a d- diversity requirement to that too. So, really? So yeah. you, do you, do you have to have like a like what would be that diversity requirement? I can't remember the exact number, but I think sure. it's around like forty percent. I want to say um, you can probably just look it up. On, yeah. yeah. But there, it's a substantial number of um, diversity hires and you actually have to document that in order to get the tax credit and uh-huh. I think that's a great I don't know 
who to give the credit to. For that. <laughs> uh, I was reading recently that I think Illinois may be the only state or one of only like two states that has um, a tax credit that has a diversity incentive attached to it. So I think that's been very helpful. And it's interesting because when we hear tax credit, I, I, at least in my mind, the first thing that jumps to, to me is like, oh, so the big corporations can come in here and bring in their people and they get the money and they're not paying taxes. But it's nice to know that at least at, in Illinois, it's working for a company like Full Spectrum Features that you guys can use that to your advantage. And that's who that's why I want that tax credit to help is not someone who can afford mm-hmm. to pay the taxes. It's someone who could use a little bit a break so that they can keep doing great work. And um, I know you guys have a lot of, um, you know, help from the Dry House Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, Gaylord and uh, Dorothy Donnelly Foundation. What was it like getting those different, you know, groups involved and bringing them on for this mission? Uh, a lot of grant writing. Yeah. yeah many, many hours <laughs> doing budgets and writing essays. Yeah, the, these the foundations and supporters are uh, really helpful for us because it's a lot of independent filmmakers come from under-resourced communities. They can't um, bankroll their films on their own. And uh, quite honestly, they may not be able to pay us, at least in the beginning, to work on their films. So having this additional outside support re- helps us keep our lights on in the office, pay for our staff so we can actually have... Uh, a functional company to help these independent filmmakers and you guys do have in fact an office over in lakeview yeah we're inside the athenaeum theater which uh not actually in the theater part it's yeah. <laughs> you go to see a show in between there's Matinees, eugene you know we're in row g uh, <laughs> <laughs> the athenaeum is an interesting space they have a beautiful main stage theater they have some black box theaters but they also house like 20 um local nonprofits. we happen to be the only media related company there that's mostly like dance companies and theater companies mm-hmm. But yeah, we've been we've been in there for about six months. Prior to that, we had an office in the fourth grade class classroom of a Buddhist temple, which was uh, a pretty it's, interesting. Yeah, setup. very yeah. unique. <laughs> <laughs> there were no fourth graders in there while we were um, <laughs> occupying the space. But when the fourth graders did need to come for the summer programming, we would get kicked out. Yeah. So we actually, for one summer, worked out of the basement of uh, Fazia Mirza, the star of Signature Move. We, right. we worked out of her basement. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very kind of her to, to help you out. But she in stars in it, she writes it, and she was housing an entire production yeah. team. <laughs> Um, I wanted to bring up uh, something that you guys have been doing for a while, the Chicagoland Shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, a, a good friend of ours, Raul Benitez, um, he's come on as the lead programmer for the Chicagoland Shorts yep. project. Is that true? Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Um, tell us a little bit about Chicagoland Shorts. How did that get started for you guys? Yeah, so that was one of our first initiatives. It's a collection of usually around 10 short films from 10 different local filmmakers. And the idea... Well, basically maps onto our mission statement, so it's kind of mm-hmm. promoting and celebrating the diversity of filmmaking that's happening here. And we kind of skew more experimental because we are looking for people who are pushing genre boundaries and trying to think a little bit different, differently about how to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we typically premiere, um, every year we premiere Chicago Land Shorts in Chicago with like a big kickoff party. And then the, t- the, the program actually goes on a nationwide tour. So 
I think with uh, the cur- current volume that's on tour, we're going to hit close to 30, 30 stops. Wow. And part of the idea is to give the filmmakers some exposure outside of Chicago and then also uh, kind of show off what we're doing here in Chicago to other cities and be like, look at all this cool, innovative filmmaking that's happening here. And the idea for this came in part uh, to, I guess this is my response to the fact that a lot of people still leave Chicago for the coast. And I think they feel underappreciated here, or they're just making work here to kind of like get good enough so that they can leave. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that if we start recognizing some of the talent that's here before it leaves, maybe a couple of those people will stick around and be like, right. this is a place where I want to make films because I feel like this is my cinematic home. I, I can't imagine making films somewhere else. So you mentioned that you lived in L.A. for about 10 years, 8, 9 years, right? And yeah. then you left, stopped cinema stopped filmmaking entirely for about 10 and then you came to chicago mm-hmm. and then that was when you started full spectrum features and you hadn't created right. that before leaving before coming to chicago no Is i that started correct? that here yeah okay and would you say that um you mentioned that there were a couple of frustrations that you had with filmmaking which was one of your motivations to leave when you decided to get back into filmmaking what was your motivation because it does seem like you there that something happened that caused you obviously you're extremely motivated with this full spectrum thing and you're being progressive forward thinking about your your premieres and everything so i guess i was just curious what was one of your motivations to come back into it honestly one of the 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 triggers if you will was the digital revolution in cinema i was in graduate school for so long that I missed uh, the release of, like, the 7D and the 5D. Yeah, yeah. And what happened was, I mean, 10 years is a long time to be away from, like, technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Especially during the, now, yeah. Yeah, with cameras they, and computers. So some of my friends who I'd been making films with in L.A. in, like, the early 2000s, around 2010, say, they were premiering their films at, like, Sundance and South by shooting things on a 5D. And I was like... You shot that beautiful-looking film on this little tiny yeah. camera and then cut it on your laptop. So the barriers to entry basically came down in terms of equipment and cost uh, in order to make something that is of really high cinematic quality. Mm-hmm. Um, some people describe it as like the democratization of filmmaking, and that's very true on the production side. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm like, I think I'm going to jump back into this because I can make the stuff that I want to make now. And it's not going to cost $1.5 million. You can do it. We can knock a zero off that and actually, or two zeros, yeah. and make something that looks great and that actually has a chance in the marketplace. Um, with Just for the uh, for the listeners out there that don't know about the year, that's the, that's can, Canon produced those cameras, the cam, uh, Canon 5D? Yeah, they're actually uh, still cameras, or that was, I think, the initial intention. They're DSLR cameras. Mm-hmm. But people discovered that because of the, the sensor, um, there's a video mode on there and people filmmakers are like oh this actually shoots really high quality yeah. video um and they're full uh the 5d is a full frame camera so it's roughly the same like as shooting on a, a 35 millimeter yeah and it's not prohibitively expensive you know you don't necessarily have to rent it like you could just you could walk just into a best it. buy and buy yeah, that literally yeah. so with with this so-called democratization of the production of film um do you think that having i guess the question i always have is when you have more content is that 
necessarily always better or there's some that would argue that when you have more content you're not seeing as much good stuff but i think with full spectrum the argument is like the more content the more stories you can tell where do you guys sit on that because you can click you know i mean like i said you could go on uh, amazon video and find literally anything like um do you think that it's helping filmmakers or it's burying filmmakers in just this glut of content I think it's kind of a, a mixed bag. I do think it's great that anyone can pick up a camera and go shoot something. Um, and then you can go and edit it on your computer. There is a problem that there's just so much content out there. So right, I, I can't remember last year, it was maybe like 12,000 independent features were made in America. <laughs> oh, and, and maybe like eight of them got picked up for any kind of meaningful distribution. Mm-hmm. So it just it just made the marketplace that much more competitive i think what it's um led to is just an increased need for really good curation platforms and venues where there are trusted uh programmers and curators who can sift through this massive amount of content and um hook people up with the content that they actually want to watch otherwise i mean i i don't even spend i don't spend any time on youtube because it's like too, too overwhelming to me <laughs> right. it's like a bajillion videos yeah and what do you think that do you think that the digital or the democratization of film do you think that that's done anything to the types of films that are being made obviously full spectrum mm-hmm. focuses on bringing narrative to stories that most people aren't aware to outside of their own experience obviously mm-hmm do you think that the democratization of film has done anything to the narratives that are being told? Yeah, in the sense that there are a lot more diverse voices creating content because there. I mean, we see that a lot of open open TV content is a good example of this. People are like, "I'm not going to wait around for someone else to go write my story. I'm just going to write it and go shoot it." Uh, one of the things that's been surprising and maybe a little bit frustrating, and we're trying to. Um, push back against that with Chicago and shorts is how despite the fact that you can just pick up a camera and go out and shoot stuff I'm finding that that hasn't uh, resulted in a lot more risk taking in terms of Mm -hmm. filmmaking it's just more people who are trying to get into Hollywood by making pretty conventional films Mm -hmm. and that's been um, I don't know frustration is the right word but it's it's been interesting to observe because you would think that when the costs come down people would be like what the hell just go and do something crazy and you know take all kinds of creative risks but i think what that speaks to is we've had a democratization of production of film but there's been the opposite of in terms of uh distribution and exhibition and we we need a similar kind of democratization on that side of things there's still like three or two or one gatekeepers and everyone's trying to get their content through that one door yeah and i think gatekeeper is really the way to put it because i always that's what always worries me is that you meet all these people are so they're so talented and they're doing something that feels original or is you know they're they might just be starting out and they're doing something maybe conventional but you see there's a path for them but it's like you know there's the few uh indie distributors out there that kind of tell you if you get to be little miss sunshine from sundance or you're you know you languish in relative obscurity on vimeo <laughs> which is i don't know i feel like that's yeah, like hell that's a bad <laughs> <laughs> you know it's and and no no you know i'm not trying to shit on vimeo here it's a great service oh, but you we know love you, vimeo what 
I said we love you, Vimeo. Yeah, we <laughs> sponsored the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, that gatekeeper mentality. What do you think will be the? Is are we going to get close soon? Are we are we almost there? Are we still working towards uh, getting you know those gates broken down and allowing more people to get more distribution? There's definitely more kind of. I mean, I'm not a distributor professionally, so I, I, you might want to talk to someone else to get some more detail on this landscape. But from what I'm saying, there's more th- things like open TV around mm-hmm. where they're serving a particular um, niche audience. And I think that's promising, but at the same time, especially with web series, everyone is kind of scratching their head still about web series and like how do you make money well really based off any kind of independent web-based content that's put on the web so even though there are more of these platforms popping up um there's another one that some local filmmakers were involved with called uh tello okay um there's a paywall and behind it uh it's i think i believe it's um lesbian web series content and so there's more things like that popping up but i don't know how that's really translating into sustainability and financial viability for the filmmakers and i know a lot of these platforms pop up for two or three years and then shut down because they're, they're just not getting enough traffic mm-hmm. so they're kind of it's kind of this phase of we're still trying they're trying it's but there's like a few things i mean it's always at the end of the day it comes down to the money like how do you keep the how do you keep right. the lights on how do you keep yeah. uh doing doing the thing you want to do and we certainly hope that we can have more of that but um i mean when i see I, where it's a an issue when i think of independent artists that kind of blow up outside of the typical studio sphere i think of you know chicago artist chance the rapper sure and he was obviously his popularity is largely due in part to somebody like kanye west right kind of yeah helping you helping know, him just, up yeah but i do see a sort of a parallel between I know that, um, I can't remember the name of the show, but it was an open TV production that got picked up by HBO. Oh, yeah, Brown Girls. So you see this sort of independent sphere that isn't catered towards a niche audience that, particularly a voice that hasn't really been heard in mainstream media, and then you have these, you know, these big studios notice the value in that, Mm -hmm. and then they give that more of a distribution platform. So I do think that it's, it's something that you can see happening it's just i don't know if we've seen it happen in chicago quite yet in films in particular well let's hope in time in time is what uh what we're looking for and uh with when eugene with you and uh you know full spectrum you guys are really pushing towards that future i I really believe that Uh, again eugene sun park founder and executive director of full spectrum features filmmaker producer um you can check out full spectrum features at fullspectrumfeatures.com you guys are on facebook as well full spectrum features and also on twitter uh eugene thank you so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it thank you guys all right you've been listening to no coast cinema here on wgm plus we are your guide to cinema here in the city of chicago I'm Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And we will see you all next week.